Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Anchor Church podcast. It is our desire at the Anchor to provide a place for you to know God, find freedom, discover your God-given purpose, and ultimately make a difference in the world around you. Each week, the Anchor podcast features Sunday sermons. You can follow along in this podcast episode and read the sermon notes on our website by visiting theanchor.me. Now, let's get into the Word. Listen, let me say this before we jump in. Today, what I want to talk about, uh, truthfully, there's nothing like wow, amazing about it. It is super practical. Uh, I will say this, there's a lot of information in this, and it's not just for information's sake. The goal of today is not to fill your brain, it's to fill your heart so you can actually have some life transformation with Him. And maybe if I can just say this, is there anyone in this room that feels like, man, in some area of your life that you feel like you've been just circling the mountain again and again and again, and you're like, dear God, I wish I could get off this thing so I could actually move forward in some direction in my life. Is is anybody in here, or is it just me? Awesome. So I'm going to preach to about 70% of the room. This is great. And so... Anyways, listen, if that's you, this is, this is what we're going to talk about today is really what, what I believe that can help you move forward. So uh, let me just say this. In, in light of us being uh, 20 days away uh, from the new year, it's like, man, this year went by so fast. Uh, anyways, 20 days away from the new year and knowing that it isn't uncommon for God to use the turning of the year as a way of launching us into a new chapter in our lives, spiritually speaking, uh, I actually want to encourage all of us to actually have uh, you know, enough discipline maybe to devote some time over the next 20 days to hear from God concerning the direction he would like to take your life in 2022. Okay? And this isn't trite. I mean what I'm saying today, okay? Listen, my, my hope is, is that as we listen to him, that it will not only help us prepare our hearts for what he wants to do, but he will also help us to actually prepare and write down a personal and intentional growth plan for our lives for the next year. And so with that in mind, I want to take our time today, and I just simply want to help prepare us for this endeavor. So to help motivate us, uh, I would actually like to begin by quoting an old leadership adage that comes from Benjamin Franklin. Here's what Benjamin said. You've probably heard it before. He said this. He said, if you fail to plan, you are planning to fail. If you fail to plan, you are planning to fail. In other words, the underlying point he was getting at here is this, is that success in any of our area of our lives doesn't happen by accident. Now, what I think is so ironic about this statement is this, is that in all of my years, I've never met a single person that set out to fail in an area that mattered to them. But on the other hand, I've met countless of people who have failed to properly prepare themselves for something that they're even passionate about and want to accomplish, only to later find themselves disappointed because they did not get the results that they were longing for or hoping for. So, which in my opinion only supports what Benjamin said, once again, if we fail to plan, we are planning to fail. Now, maybe to drive this point home in in kind of a unique and and unlikely, maybe even a silly way, I want to give you two examples, just kind of get your motor running. Uh, So just imagine this. Uh, What would happen if a home builder just basically got in touch with the excavator guy, then he talked to a cement truck guy, and then he talked to some framers, some drywallers, some painters, a well digger, and a plumber and electrician, and he said this, hey guys, can you show up at this address at 8 o'clock Monday morning, we all know that would be a miracle, uh, and to actually bring whatever tools and amount of supplies that you think would get a job done. So Monday rolls around, once again, everybody gathers, and, and as expected, they're there, uh, but there's only one problem, while everybody's sitting there sipping on their coffee, uh, there's no blueprints available. Right. In fact, the home builder is still unsure if they want to build a farmhouse or if they want to build a traditional cape or if they want to build a brick home or if they want to go for a thatched cottage because they took a trip to England or maybe they want to build a luxurious Italian villa. But, the, you know, so basically all of that, because they're so indecisive, they don't know what they want to do. The home builder just looks at everybody that's gathered and says this. I don't know what to do. So why don't you guys just pick your favorite one out of those options and y'all just go for it. Right? So, so, you know, whatever. So the, anyways, y'all get the point. And so I, I just think this, it's like so funny that if you stop and go, the only thing that the home builder maybe communicated is that they wanted this thing to look amazing. Like, build whatever you want. I just want it to look good, and, and I need it to be completed in three weeks. Let me give you another example, and this is mainly for us that like football, right? But listen, in two weeks, the Pats 
They're going to play the Indianapolis Colts, okay? 820 at night, I've already checked. So let's, let's say this, that instead of the team running its normal weekly schedule, Coach Belichick just forms all the players, hey, guys, listen, it's the Colts. Let's take the next two weeks off. So for the next two weeks, they shut the facility down. There's no practices. There's no studying film on the opponent. Uh, there's no offense or defense install on showing how they might attack the you know, opposing team or defend the opposing team. There, there's literally no working out, no rehab, like nothing is happening, right? So fast forward two weeks, December the 18th, you know, whatever, it's 8 o'clock, and everybody's gathered in the locker room. And right before they go out, uh, Coach Belichick says, hey, guys, let me get your attention really quick. Um, you know, I've decided something. We haven't practiced in two weeks, and, and so I just think maybe it's best today if every one of you guys, when the ball is snapped, you just run whatever play you want to run. Right? And he says this, but, you know, we got a winning culture around here, so I still expect to win. Now, fast forward again in the first play of the opening drive. Once the ball is snapped, here's what's happened. The left guard, he decides to do a run block. The right tackle, he decides to pass block. And, and the running back, he goes out for a swing pass. The only problem is, is the quarterback thought it had been a better idea to hand the ball off for a right tackle run. And, and, and so everybody's going crazy. The wide receiver, the tight ends, they're just running their own routes, running into each other. It's just a mess. And so, listen, as you can expect, they're probably not going to move the ball down the field, right? And so four quick plays later, uh, you, know, uh, you know, half of them want to punt, the other half want to go for it. It doesn't really matter, right? And, and so what happens is, is the Colts got the ball, and then when, you know, I think it was it Carson Wentz or whoever's quarterback there now, he hikes the ball, and, and what happens is, is the secondary, the play's moving, and the secondary for the Pats, some of them are playing man, some of them are playing zone, in fact, before they even lined up, there were some defense alignment that said, you know what, I think I want to play a 3-4 formation. And then everybody else said, no, let's play a dime formation. And so my point is, is it's absolute chaos for four quarters. You get in the picture. So listen, so in light of those, once again, maybe dumb examples, uh, do you think that the home builder's house is going to turn out to be a masterpiece or a mess? And do we think the Pats are going to win or are they going to lose? So maybe a better question asked is this, is all these people involved, do we think they're going to succeed or fail? They're going to fail. That's right. Why? Because once again, what Benjamin Franklin said was correct. When we fail to plan, we plan to fail. All right. So listen, hang with me here. It's going to take me a minute to get there. But, but here's the thing is I don't want to just stop and go, okay, yeah, we get it. When we fail to plan, we plan to fail. Cool. Okay. I, I think there's actually something much deeper that God wants us to grab a hold of today, and it's this. If I can compare it to something in our lives. All around this room, we have people who are successful at your careers. Like you've done a really good job at your job, right? And I think if we realize it or not, you know, like what, made, what has made us successful, what has made us valuable in what we do is number one is this, is that we've intentionally prepared for it. We prepared for it. In other words, we received training and we received education. And so, you know, once again, so we can do the job well. The second thing that has a uh, second reason we are successful is we've learned how to approach each day with some sort of plan. We often refer to that plan as our daily routine. So in short, it's this. If I can just kind of sum this up, because we have given our careers a lot of attention by working on our craft and becoming disciplined at our routine, it has produced positive results in our lives that we often refer to as success. If you're with me, say, oh, yeah. All right, listen, while there's nothing wrong with any of that, the, the question I believe that God is wanting to maybe get us to consider over the next 20 days is this. In comparison, right, to our careers, could it be possible that we are consistently giving less attention to the things that matter the most in life? Right? So, and just maybe that this lack of attention is contributing to why we aren't seeing the positive results that we would like to see in the areas that matter most in our lives. So, I think for a minute, if we can maybe pause and just take a quick look, what should, as Christians, what should matter the most to us in our lives? The first thing is this this is our personal relationship with Jesus. Right? Secondly is our spiritual development and growth. Like we should be growing, right? You should be able to look back at last year and go, man, I have grown in this area, in that area, in this area, past three years, five years, six years. Man, I've changed, and this is the way that I've changed, right? So another thing that should matter the most is eternity. 
Yes, if where we're going to spend eternity, heaven or hell. But, but the other part I want to look at is this, is by how we given our lives to the things that have eternal value, like our purpose. That should matter, right? If we're married in this room, guess what matters a lot? Our marriage. If we have kids, guess what matters a lot? How we raise our children, right? Even this, what's another thing that matters the most? It's our emotional and mental and physical health. The reality is, is a lot of times you can love Jesus with everything, but if your world is getting rocked emotionally, mentally, and physically, you're no good. Right? Even this, what matters the most is like we look around, man, it's healthy relationships that have healthy communication and healthy boundaries. The next thing is this, is it matters how we steward the money and the resources that God has entrusted to us. I think there's probably more things on that list that I'm not thinking of, but I think those things matter. Can I get a good amen? So listen, I think we can all agree on the importance of each one of those areas, but, but in reality, how often do we find ourselves lacking an intentional blueprint, an intentional plan, so instead, like the Pats, we just run whatever play that seems best for us at the moment? Right? We shoot from the hip, right? And so, listen, only to find out later, I don't know about you, but I've been there, only find out later that, guess what, I'm not on the same page with God. I'm not on the same page with my spouse. I'm definitely not on the same page with my kids. And I'm not on the same page as the church community that God has put me in. So, listen, but in spite, what's so funny is, is we can live like that, but so often in the back of our minds, even though we have an, a, a, you know, lack an intentional growth plan, uh, you know, like those two examples, we still expect something amazing to come out of those areas. We want to win in those areas, right? We want positive results. And I think this today, I am guilty of it more than likely, so are you. Yes. So, all right, with that said, if I can just kind of insert a, a simple thought to the side, I realize, guys, that life has a tendency to throw curveballs at us. And I realize, like a pastor I used to work for used to say all the time, we should always expect the unexpected. But listen, even in the midst of those things that we cannot control, there are still plenty of things about our lives in those areas that matter the most that we can control. And that's the areas that I'm hoping today that I can help you build a plan around so that your life doesn't have to be defined as some chain reaction of inconsistencies. But there's intentionality that's in it. So if I can give you a thought here. I, you know, I realized that if I came and I sat down with all of us, uh, I would, you know, I would quickly realize that you want a great relationship with God. Like, and you want your lives to count for something. Like, who wants to live and die and your life meant nothing, right? So I realized that if we're married, we want a great marriage. And if we have kids, we want great kids. And we want to be physically and mentally and emotionally healthy. And we want our finances to be in order. But here's what you need to know today. Uh, you can have all the greatest intentions to have great things in those areas, but good intentions have never produced outstanding results. Never. Okay? So I want to ask again today a very pointed question as we're getting ready to go into the next year. Do you have an intentional growth plan in place for your spiritual development? For your purpose, like growing in that. For your marriage, for raising your kids, for your emotional, right, mental and physical health. Do you have a plan for your healthy relationships? Do you have a plan to have your finances in order? Like, let, let me ask this today. Is there anybody in this room that says, I got room for my finances to get in order? There was like six of you. The rest of you, I need to hang out with you. <laughs> Maybe you guys should teach a class. All right, is there anybody in here that's like, man, I could use some help in raising my kids? Yeah, is there anybody in here that goes, you know what, I got some areas in my personal walk with God I could really grow in? Yeah. Right? So, you know, so in that, I'll just say this. Do, do we have an intentional growth plan that can survive the curveballs and the unexpected things in this life? Or, or just maybe, just maybe this might be something we need to heed and listen to and go, maybe I need to work on this for the next 20 days. Because, you see, I'm starting to understand something. I, you know, I've always looked at this verse I'm about to say in a, in, a, in a certain light, and it's expanding for me. It's this, Jeremiah 29, 11. Most of us can quote it. 
But for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope in a future. I'm seeing, so for so long I thought about that, those plans, simply in the confines of the ministry and the calling and the destiny God's placed on my life. But I'm starting to see that those plans include every one of those areas of my life, that God has a plan for my finances. Right? Like I knew that. But he has plans for how I raise my kids. He has plans for my marriage. Right? Like we know that, but let the aha moment come. Right? That he has a plan, right, going down that list. And so you and I should be tuned into that plan. Right? How many of you guys know the Pats play a whole lot better when they're listening to Belichick? We would do a whole lot better if we would listen to God. Amen? So listen, even though he's got plans for us, I want to show you actually a promise that's super encouraging that goes along with those plans. Philippians 1.6, God tells us this. He says that he who began a good work within you will continue his work in all of those areas until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Come on, wave your hand at me if you know that's a really good promise, that Jesus is going to finish the work that he began in us. All right, now can I give you a balancing statement here? Because I think so many Christians live their lives, and just people in general, let me maybe not pick on Christians, they, they think that basically, man, if I put my head down and I just am good, then good things are going to ultimately happen. That's not really the way it works, guys. What I'm trying to say to you today is there's a way to actually lead your life, obviously under God's authority. Okay? So, so here's the balancing statement. As grateful as you and I should be that God has a plan for our life and he's got promises attached to that plan, I just simply want to remind all of us that it would be foolish for us to believe that we don't have any responsibility to the playing out or in the equation of the fulfillment of those promises and those plans. Yes, we do, right? And so we need to own that. We need to take ownership of our lives, ownership of our decisions, and understand that we have a responsibility. Let me give you a verse to support what I'm saying today. Colossians 3 says this, kind of lengthy, but hang with me. It says, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves. So listen, from that verse, do we all agree that it's God's plan for us to be holy? Absolutely. Now, will he help us in that process of becoming holy? Yes, it's called sanctification, right? So, but I want you to notice what he says next. He says, here's God's plan, but you must clothe yourself. You got to do it, right? Clothe yourself with tender mercies, tenderhearted mercies, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And this says, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who has offended you. Remember the Lord forgave you and you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let the message about Christ and all this richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And watch this last verse. And whatever you do or say, remember that list, do it all for the glory of God. I don't know what goes to your mind when you read that verse or hear that verse, but it tells me this, that, that God has a plan, but it's still up to me to flesh that plan out by the choices that I make, right? In other words, when I look at those verses, I see a passage that is littered with responsibility that God can't do for me, but I have to do for myself because I want to bring him glory. See, this is why Paul wrote to the church in Galatia, Galatians 6. He says this. He said, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. Let those words sink in. A man reaps what he sows, and then whoever sows, in other words, whoever makes choices to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows or makes choices to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. This says, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Now, what I think Paul is getting at here, and this may be dumbing it down, I'm not sure, but listen, that he's saying just like a farmer can choose what type of seeds he wants to plant in the ground, he understands that the type of seeds he picks will actually determine the crops that he will reap. Simple. If I plant an apple seed, I expect an apple tree, Right? So I think the same way you and I have the daily choice or by our daily choices that, that actually what we do will determine the results that we will receive in this life. It's pretty simple, right? So, so listen, if I, if I say, you know what, I want 
godly kids, then there's some choices I need to make. Right? So, so I would say it this way. How many of you know that it's easier to make a choice when a plan has already been prayed through and decided on? Right? It's, it's like this. Once again, maybe silly, but ask any person that has ever went to the grocery store with a list versus the person at the grocery store without a list. Right? It's easier to make choices when you have a plan that is already established. Like, I'll use myself for an example. I, you know, it, it is, A, a whole lot quicker when I have a list than when I don't have one because I don't struggle with indecisiveness. I know what to say no to and I know what to say yes to, right? But I'll even go further and say this, that when I go to the grocery store and I got my list from Miss Jen, right, and, and I'm tracking on that thing, guess what? I make better choices, meaning I get chicken, broccoli. That's what, I got you, babe. I can get those things. But when I, Quentin, goes to the store without a list and my stomach is talking to me, how many of you guys know I don't make really wise decisions? Instead of broccoli and chicken, we're going to have ice cream and, I don't know, Oreos for dinner, right? Yeah. So the, the simple point I want to make is that when we don't have a plan, a lot of times what happens is we choose things that really can't sustain us in our lives. Versus when we have a list, we know what God is saying, we know what he wants us to do, and we can actually go, okay, that's the choice. Yes to that, no to that. This is what he wants me to do. There's a whole lot more sustainability and spiritual strength in my life. Amen. So likewise, what we're getting at today is that an individual growth plan helps us know where we are going in life versus life choosing where it wants to take us. So with that said, let me compare really quick, and I just want you to maybe stop and go, okay, which, which one do I identify with? The, the guy or the gal that doesn't have a list or the guy or gal that, that uh, basically does? In other words, a plan, right? So the first part, let's go. Someone who lacks a plan. I think this person is best described as someone who merely lives their life with little to no thought about what they will do with their day. They're willing to accept whatever life throws at them, meaning that they are simply reacting or they are reactionary in the way they live. In other words, they take their directives from external circumstances and ultimately allow those external circumstances to set the direction for their lives. That makes sense. See, see, when we live that way, what happens is, is we end up living according to someone else's plan and not God's plan. Everybody else is running us, right? But for those who have a plan, they have decided to take ownership of their daily routine. They intentionally make room for God's order, God's purpose, and God's process. And they partner with God and plan for growth. Because why? Because they have a greater sense of purpose and they have a heart to do whatever they do for the glory of God. Hope that makes sense. So if you can, just hear it this way. To, to live with intentionality, that's what we're talking about. To live with intentionality means we strive to live a life of purpose on purpose. And I just think it's this. When you, when you desire to live on purpose, you understand that today is a gift from God. It's a gift, right? If I'm breathing, if I'm above the ground, it is a gift from God. And there's a reason he wants me to be alive, right? And when I understand that it's a gift and there's a reason I'm alive, then I can say, you know what, God? Today I recognize it's a gift from you. How can I live it for your glory? Would you give me a plan? Would you give me a strategy? What do you want me to do? Rather than us not having a plan and just wondering aimlessly and just buying time, you know, whatever. How many ever years we got on this earth until we die? Yeehaw. Right? All right. So let's shift gears and let's get practical. If you haven't taken notes, take notes, please. Now, just if nothing more, jot down some scriptures and five words I'm going to give you, okay? Because what I want to do is I want to transition uh, with this thought. If you and I actually want to be successful, and I believe we do, then we got to remember that it will require us to know where we are headed and how we're going to get there. Where we headed and how... Are we going to get there? In other words, this, we'll throw up the next slide. Let this sink in your gut. Success requires a well-thought-out plan and a following through of that plan if we're going to succeed. You, you know, listen, there's an old quote that I really, really like. A guy named Richard Crisco. I heard him say it, man, 20 years ago, and it just stuck with me. He said this. He said that basically imagination without follow-through is mere fantasy. Imagination 
without follow-through is mere fantasy. In other words, uh, we can all have good intentions and great ideas, but unless we get a plan that we can actually follow through on, those things are fantasy and they never become a reality. God wants the things that he has put in your spirit, the things that Jesus died to give you, he wants those things to become a reality. Freedom is not some uh, wishful thought. It is a reality in Jesus. Amen? All right. So what I want to do is help you kind of go, okay, how can we get an intentional growth plan? Once again, it doesn't matter if you're 90 years old in here or if you're 10 years old. This is really good. So take notes, please. All right. So what I want to do is I want to give you five words that are really five steps. I made them words so they can be uh, remembered. But I, but I hope these five words or five steps will help you uh, basically develop a plan. Here we go. The first one is this, is we've got to learn how to pause. Somebody say pause. See, the word pause means to wait or to take a temporary stop and rest, especially in speech or action. How many of you guys know in the day we live in, man, we have forgotten how to pause? Right? It's like we are so busy. What I found, I don't know about you, but when I watch people and I catch my own self doing sometimes, is even when we're not super, super busy, we find things to distract ourselves to make us busy. Right, like we come home, we got to turn on the TV, we wake up, we got to grab the phone, right? And we just have a hard time being still. So listen, in, in just the, the spirit of transparency with you today, I got to tell you, I think probably one of my greatest sins is probably that I don't take the time to stop and pause long enough to rest and listen. The truth is, is I find myself because I'm so busy when all the things here at the church, but also at home, just, man, man, I'm just busy. And what I find myself doing more often than not is I find myself trying to hear from God on the run. Like, this is happening, and I'm running this, and, but, but in the meantime, right before I get there, God, speak to me, God, speak to me. <laughs> Am I the only one? So I, I just think this. It's like, um, the reality is, as I've thought about this, I'm like, man, I really resemble in a lot of ways Elijah. And I want to read a verse to you here, and I, this is maybe bad, but... Maybe it'll help it land. First King 19. It says, Elijah got up and he ate and he drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. It says, basically for 40 days, pretty much he ran, right? It says, there he came to a cave. How many of you guys know a cave is a solitude place, right? And it says, where he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah. Now, obviously, we don't have the context. God called him there, so it's a really funny question. But, but, but listen, I want you to notice something, that God never spoke to Elijah during the 40 days and the 40 nights of running. Like, God never spoke to him in his 40 days of doing. It wasn't until Elijah, what, uh, finally got to a place where he paused at a cave long enough that God actually began to speak to him. So listen, as I thought about that, I remembered how the Bible tells us that uh, just few people here, that as Abraham sat or he paused under the mulberry tree, that God visited him, right? And I remembered that as Moses went to the mountain and he paused, he got away from all those people, that's where God spoke to him. I thought about how Joshua, right, Moses would leave the tabernacle, and what would happen is, is, is Joshua would linger, he would pause. Man, we've forgotten how to linger in God's presence, haven't we? And what happened was as he lingered, he encountered God in a different way, right? And then I thought about Nathaniel. The Bible says that his journey began as he sat or paused under a tree. Ah, I see him over there, right? And then I thought about this. Like how many times have we see in the Bible where the Bible says that Jesus actually went to a deserted place. He got away from everybody and he paused so that he could hear the Father's voice and the Father's heart. And then I thought about this. How Jesus actually instructed us in Matthew 6, 6 to pause. He says, but when you pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you and pray to your Father in private. And I think the word then is, yes, we've done that, but when we've learned how to pause, your Father who sees everything will reward you openly. Listen, concerning that verse, I, you know, I just want to point out, so often I think when, we, when you and I think about the secret place, we think about a place that we go to just tell God everything we need. We go and we do all the talking, right? It's that, and to us, that's the action of praying. That's what you do when you pray. You just simply go tell God what you want, right? But I want to encourage us to remember that the secret place is equally designed by God to be a place where we can pause 
and reflect. So the second step in developing an intentional growth plan is this, is we got to learn how to reflect. we got to learn how to reflect. The word reflect means this. It's the process of taking thoughtful and serious consideration. The process of taking thoughtful and serious consideration of what? Of the areas that matter the most. Y'all look at me really quick. If I, if I was actually honest and I said, what consumes my mind the most? Would it be my job or all those things that matter the most? It's my job. Like it doesn't stop. Right? And so I think it's just important here we go, okay, once again, what should we be giving thoughtful and serious consideration for? Man, it's the things that matter the most. And I will say this for you guys that are in the room that are leaders, and maybe you own a business or whatever, you know the responsibility and the weight never leaves. It does not leave. There is no, you know, clocking out at 5 o'clock and going home and we'll think about it on Monday. It doesn't exist. Right? And so I just think it's like this. If we would maybe stop for a moment and understand what reflection really is, this is where we are willing to take an open and an honest evaluation of what's taking place in us, around us, through us, and to us. See, when we begin to look at those areas about what's really going on in our life, uh, what we'll find is, is that that process of reflection really begins with questions. Right? So as an example, I want you to notice when God spoke to Elijah, he didn't just speak, but he literally asked the man a question. He ran for 40 days. Elijah finally crashes, and God says, where are you? What are you doing here? What are you doing here, Elijah? Once in context, seems funny, but I think when we look at this, when we actually begin to understand, when we pause long enough, it isn't uncommon for God to ask a question that will cause us to reflect on where we are at in life. Right? Like, what are you doing here, guys? Like, what are you doing here in this season of your life? What are you doing in the relationships you have? Like, what are you doing in your purpose? Right? Like, what, what are you doing here in your emotional health, your physical health? Like, where are you at? See, what happens is, at least I found in my experience, that God not only asks me questions, and I'm a quizzed fellow, so it works for me, but I also find a lot of times that I believe he deposits thoughts in my mind and my heart that causes me to ask questions that he's really wanting to answer. But those questions and that you know, exchange doesn't happen until I'm willing to pause and actually reflect. Yes? Now watch how Elijah responds to the question. Elijah actually replied, he said, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left, and, right? And, and now they're trying to kill me too. Traditionally, I understand that verse 10 here is viewed as Elijah's self-pity party and also a large reason or large part of why he was disqualified and he didn't finish strong. Uh, but I will say this, even though I don't disagree with that, there's another side that I think God is showing me in this. And it's this, is that, that this man actually finally, he stopped long enough to begin the process of reflecting on what was really going on in the inside of him. Like, listen, if you remember the story, what's, what's happened is, is 40 days before this, he called fire down from heaven, Right? In crazy powerful miracle. He killed hundreds of prophets, right? And then on the heels of that, like, oh, victory, he got a death threat from that evil queen Jezebel. And he ran. And ran. <laughs> right? And so I guess it would be more, more than 40 days. I remember pieces of the story. But um, I, I just think this, it's like, It was when he finally sat down, just wore out emotionally, that he actually began to reflect where he was at physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually after all of that stuff had happened. And he's finally telling God, look, God, I'm not in a really good spot. Like, I'm really struggling, right? And I'm wrestling with these thoughts and these emotions in this moment. And, and something that I think is maybe interesting for us to maybe see here is re remember, here's a guy that that it seems like when you look at the trajectory, all of his interaction with God using him was always about power, right? 
In, in fact, if my memory serves me right, his name Elijah, uh, Eli, uh, literally means strength or power, and Jah means God. So his name literally means strength and power of God, if I'm right with that. And, and so... Anyways, I just think it's like that's how he knows how to interact with God. He doesn't really know how to interact with God in this like vulnerable spot. And, and, but what I think is really interesting, I think some of us need to hear this, especially if we have grown up maybe in a legalistic church. Okay, But it's this, just notice that God didn't scold Elijah for having those thoughts. Like He didn't say, dude, you're an idiot, you're stupid, you really don't love me, what's wrong? He didn't say any of that. What, what happened was, is I think God just simply tried to help him process and think through the previous experience so that he could do this. Y'all watch, so he could learn from it. That's what God wants to do through this. He wants to, uh, to teach us some things, right? So, listen, the reality is, is in the following verses, uh, we find that, that he, goes, he goes, here it is, God. Ugh. And then God goes, okay, let's go up to the mountain. And, and three powerful things happen. The wind comes. The earthquake happens, right? The fire comes, and then the Bible says that God wasn't in any of that, but he was in the whisper, the still small voice. Now, I, I got a few things here uh, kind of on my mind, and I probably need to flesh out a little bit better. But I think God was trying to show him a new way for a new season, right, uh, of how he wanted to move in his life, that it wouldn't have to be all about, ah, anymore, but it could be here. Hey. Right? And, and, and that there's a place in that, hey that can help you face the Jezebels in this life, right? Like the power can call down fire. The power can handle the prophets. But sometimes you need still small voice just to know how to get through things that you're afraid of, right? And so what's so interesting is here's this still small voice, and then God asks him the question a second time. He says, Where are, uh, what are you doing here, Elijah? It's a funny question because he's not talking about geographically. God's the one that told him to go up to the mountain. He's right. He's told him to be in the two locations he was at. So God's not asking him, what are you doing here, right? But what happens is, once again, he's asking, what are you doing in here? In here, right? And, and so what's so unique is because he didn't change his perspective. So God asked him a second time, he gives the same response. So nothing changed in him. The whisper didn't change him. I make any sense? I'm trying to make sense as I go. I'm extroverting completely right now. So, um, yeah. So the reason we know nothing changed is because obviously God, uh, he just got disqualified. We'll leave it there. But here's the point I want us to see. In this biblical example, the lesson I think we grab a hold of is that we can actually see that Elijah missed an incredible opportunity that God wants to give every one of us. And it's the understanding of this, that there are times in our lives where growth can only come to us when we're willing to actually pause long enough to actually learn from the experiences. Let me set house up there. The growth occurs when we are willing to pause long enough to learn from our experiences. Let me explain. Uh, for years, I have heard people say this statement. Experience is the best teacher. Come on, wave your hand if you ever heard that. Experience is the best teacher. And, and while I understand what that means, and truthfully, I've said it before uh, myself, but I'm learning that's not really a true statement. It's really not correct. Because here's the thing, every single day people have innumerable experiences, yet they learn nothing from them. Right? Like for us that are parents, how many times are you like, man, I wish my kid would learn that that does not work that way. Hallelujah. Right? So listen, and the reason it doesn't work is, is because those people never took the time to pause and to reflect on how that experience impacted them how it impacted others, and what lessons could they actually learn from it so they can change and grow, right? So therefore, the reality is experience is not the best teacher. It's, it's this. It's not the experience itself, but it's the evaluated experience that's the best teacher. Great place to say amen. Y'all hang with me. Don't run away from me right now, okay? We'll be done here in at least 20 minutes. All right, here we go. It'll be shorter than that. All right. So with all that in mind, please consider these verses. Remember what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 46.10. He said, be still. That's the pause. And know, where do we know? That's in the reflecting. Be still and know that I am God. And, and see, I personally believe that in the pausing and reflecting, it's just not about knowing who God is, but it's also about us knowing who we are and where we are through God's eyes. Right? 
And look at Psalm 139 with me if you can. This is David. He says, search me, O God, and know or investigate my heart. This is what happens in the reflecting. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out or illuminate anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. See, that's what reflection makes room for, an investigation and illumination of our soul so that we can come to the conclusion of where we are honestly at. Have you all found that honesty, getting honest with your emotions is not an easy thing to do? Okay? Yeah. So here's the takeaway. I just think this, that reflection allows us to sort through our experiences, right? Put them into perspective and to plan for a future. That's why he said what there in Psalm 139? He says, and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Because it's not just about learning a lesson, but it's learning how to apply the lesson, right? So that brings us to the third thing about how we develop a growth plan. The third thing we need to do that's essential is we need to actually write it down, right? So we pause, we reflect, we write. First King 19 says this. It says, then the Lord told him, go back the same way you came and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Hazael to be king of Aram. It says, then anoint Jehu to be king of Israel and anoint Elisha to replace you as my prophet. See, once Elijah actually paused and had a time of reflection, uh, God began to actually give him directives. He began to speak with strategy and intentional plan of what was next in his life. And uh, let me just say this to you today, for real, hang with me. If he did it for Elijah, why wouldn't he do it for you? The Bible clearly tells us in James that this fellow was a guy just like us, right? So in my opinion, I think when it comes to this third area, this is where we miss it so often. What I mean is this, is we can somehow take time to pause and reflect and like Elijah, God starts speaking to us, uh, but we have a tendency to not write it down. Anybody ever been there, done that? Man, I have. And, and what happens when we fail to write it down? We forget it, right? And we just get busy and we forget it. And I've also learned that when we fail to write it down, we also miss a great opportunity that God gives us, and that's to return to where he spoke and actually allow him to elaborate on the things that he said. Because, see, I found in my own personal life that, man, when I write down things that God says, uh, there's been many, many times over the years he's told me to go read it again, and when I go read it, he adds to it. Like, he just keeps building upon the revelation that he's already given me. But what happens if I didn't write it down? Missed opportunity, right? So Habakkuk 2 says this, kind of like the, the, the banner scripture for this idea. He says, write the vision and make it plain on tablets. Get that. Write the vision. Write it down, what he says. That he, that you may run when you read it, right? So let me read it. Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for a point in time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. And it says this in verse 4. It says, but the just shall live by his faith. His faith, not somebody else's, your faith, right? And so I can promise you this. When you and I actually take the time to write down what God is saying, I believe those words become, A, a source of encouragement to us. B, I think they become a, a source of accountability, especially if we have the courage to share it with somebody else. right? But I also think in this cool thing that it becomes a prophetic declaration for our lives, and it actually can even become an anchor to our souls in really difficult times. See, there's times in life when you go through difficult things, you just got to think back, no, God said this. Right? You said this, God, and you're not a man that you shall lie, nor son of man that you change your mind. You will do it. So the idea is here. Let me make it really simple. Is that we want to say, okay, God, I want to get still. I want to begin to reflect, and I want to listen to what you're saying. And part of that is being open to questions coming up in your heart, questions he would ask you. And what happens is, is I would encourage you to actually jot down those questions, and not just jot down the questions, but actually write down uh, your thoughts for those questions. Y'all, listen to this key thing. Even if it doesn't make sense, right? Garrett Lish and Jen and I know an individual uh, who actually sat down five years ago. They paused, they reflected, they, they were making loads of money in the company they were in, and God basically began to speak to them. They began to write things down in their journal. 
Five years, they literally like, okay, I think it's about this. Five years later, now, every single thing that they wrote down in that prayer time has been fulfilled. Literally, in like quick, quick time, it came to pass, and not in the way they thought, but it let that individual know, I'm on the right track. Right? And so we got to not just write down their thoughts, but maybe we need to take time to organize those thoughts. And the reason I say to organize those thoughts is because that's when we begin to ask for direction strategy. Y'all hang with me here, okay? I know it's a lot. But, but listen, ask for direction strategy. Don't just get a good idea. What do I do with the idea? And then I believe this. When you really begin to hear from God, he'll give you course corrections. Right? Like, for example, I got all those kids over there, right? You know what I've learned about being a father of five? All of them are different. Lord Jesus, help me. There's no, there's no cookie-cutter thing with any of them. I have, to, I have to communicate, discipline, encourage every one of them in a different way. And I can't tell you how many times in, in my times where truthfully they all go to bed because that's the only time it gets quiet. And I just sitting there and I begin to pray and God will begin to tell me how to address them specifically. Right? And so that's the ways that many times truthfully he's bringing course corrections. He's dealing with my attitude and my heart based off something they've done. He said, no, you need to handle it this way, son. Right? So, I, so last thing there's this. Once again, I know I'm saying a whole lot, but we need to identify practical and doable actions that we can do now. Right? So often we, 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 we create these big things. I'm going to save the world. Well, how about let's just witness to our family first? Yeah? Okay. All right, so the, the fourth step that's essential and fulfilling the attention growth plan is we got to move. We got to move. We got to move. We got to move, right? There's action. Faith involves action. Look at 1 Kings 19 19. It says, So Elijah went. He moved. In other words, God said, Go do this. He moved and he found Elisha plowing a field. It says, There were 12 teams of oxen in the field, and Elisha was plowing with the 12th. Elijah went over to him and threw his cloak across his shoulders. That's the act of the anointing. So in other words, what happened is he didn't just pause and reflect and sit on what he heard. He actually moved out in obedience, and he went and he found his replacement, and he anointed the two or three dudes that God told him to anoint. See, what I'm getting at is Proverbs 29, 18 says this. It says, where there's no vision, the people perish. The word perish there actually means that people wonder and they run wild. Now, not that I think we're all going to go nuts if we don't have an intentional growth plan, but I do think if we don't have a intentional growth plan, we're going to be prone to wonder aimlessly and not hit the target that God wants us to hit. But what happens is if we actually write it down, once again, to hear the heart of God, it begins to solidify the plan in our hearts that helps us say yes. The fifth step is simply this. It's to repeat the process. It's to repeat it. It's to repeat it. It's to repeat it. The idea here is this, is that we'd actually begin to create a habit of doing what? Of pausing, reflecting writing something down and moving and repeat it because as seasons change and as we change, God's going to add uh, different things to the strategy and the plans for our lives, right? Like my way of pastoring was different as a youth pastor than it is now, right? My, even, even I'm finding out this, uh, you know, my, my way of parenting is a lot different now with a 14-year-old in the house versus when she was five. Lord Jesus, Y'all pray for me. All right? Hallelujah. Let me give you a quote. Peter Druckert said this. He said, follow effective action with quiet reflection. From the quiet reflection will come even more effective action. See, I think this, and I may be wrong, but I think that here's Elijah. He had this powerful moment, right? Called down fire from heaven, killed the prophets. And that he finally hit that spot and he got honest with God. I think if he had responded in the right way, his ministry wouldn't have been over. I think the quietness, right, and the reflecting from the previous experiences, he would have learned from it, heard the whisper, God's moving in a different way in this season, and he would have probably had a more powerful ministry on the back end of his life other than being taken quick. It's my thoughts. All right, so let me close with this. Um, if by chance today... Uh, there's anyone in here that actually thinks that you don't need this. All right? Um, that you think, I'm good. I, I, I've, I've grown. I'm awesome, right? Like, I, I got all that. I've nailed it. 
Uh, let me just give you a verse, Luke 2, 52. It's a good verse. Start to start with it, but we end in with it. It says, and Jesus grew. That means he actually kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. A point that I want to make to you quickly is if Jesus, who is the perfect son of God, needed to grow, then maybe we do too. So maybe we need to heed what we're talking about today instead of allowing it to just be another message that Pastor Quentin preaches and we forget about before we hit the parking lot. And we actually go, you know what, maybe I need to apply it because there's something that Jesus might want to do in my life. Amen? And so to understand the intentional growth plan, guys, just simply begins with a commitment to say, God, I want to grow. That's it. And then going, okay, let me follow up through it. And I'm going to tell you today, if you actually do what we're talking about today, like if you actually follow through with it, <gasps> right? Will it be easy? Promise you it won't be easy, okay? But will it be worth it? A thousand percent, okay? Awesome. Let me pray for you. Father, we recognize today that there's no shortcuts with you. And Lord, uh, the reality is, is we've tried to live shortcut lives, but we want long-term results. And uh, Lord, it just doesn't work that way. And so God, I'm just simply asking that you would help me, that you would help everyone in this room to actually just put our ear to the ground and just say, Lord, what are you doing in this season? What are you wanting to do? God, and we'd have the courage to walk through that process and God, I'll say it again, that we would actually pause to give you time to speak. We would actually reflect, God, and we would actually begin to write down what you're saying. And God, so we can have the courage and the boldness to move out on it. And Lord, if we've done that in the past, Lord, I'm asking God, you would give us the courage to repeat it again and not be afraid of the fact that it may take us out of our comfort zone and change things in our lives. But Lord, I just simply ask God today that you would, um, bold prayer, Lord, today, that you would... Uh, just keep messing with everybody on this until we actually follow through. God, I'm asking that you would, uh, just in the middle of the night, remind us. God, if we go to the bathroom, take a shower, you'd remind us. Sit down and eat a meal, you'd remind us. Turn on the game, you'd remind us. God, that you're calling us to draw near to you and to God to hear your heart for our lives for the next year. So, Lord, give us courage to do it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for encouragement in your walk with God and to receive updates on events happening at The Anchor. Have a great week and God bless.